Chapter 7 of The Orphan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Orphan by Clarence E. Mulford. Chapter 7 The Outfit Hunts for Strays. As the group of punchers and the stage neared each other, Bill saw two horsemen ride out into view beside a chaparral half a mile to the northwest, and he recognized Shields and Charlie, who were loping forward as if to overtake the cowboys, their approach noiseless because of the deep sand. As the cowboys came nearer, Bill recognized them as being the five worst men of the Crossbar Eight outfit, and his loyalty to his new friend was no stronger than his dislike for the newcomers. They swept up at a canter and stopped abruptly near the front wheel. "'Who was that?' asked Larry Thompson, impatiently, with his gloved hand indicating the direction taken by the orphan. "'Friend of mine,' replied Bill, who was diplomatically pleasant. "'Say,' he began, enthusing for effect, "'you should have turned up sooner. You missed a regular circus. We was chased by five Apaches, and my friend cleaned em right up, he sure did. You should have seen it. I wouldn't have missed it for—' "'Chase it!' relentlessly continued Larry, interrupting the threatened verbal deluge. "'Don't be all day about it, Windy,' he cried. "'Who is he?' "'Why, a friend of mine, Tom Davis,' lied Bill. "'He just wiped out a bunch of Apaches like I was telling you. They was a-chasing me some plentiful, and things were getting real interesting when he chipped in and took a hand from behind. And he certainly cleaned em up brown, he sure did. Say, I'll bet you even money that he can lick the sheriff, or even the orphan. He's a holy terror on wheels, that's what he is. Talk about lightning on the chute. And he can hit twice in the same place, too, if he wants to, though there ain't no use of it when he gets there once. The way he can heave lead is enough to make—'Choke it, Bill, choke it!' testily ordered Curly Smith, whose reputation was unsavory. "'Tell us why in the H-blank L he hit the trail so all fired hard. Is your friend some bashful?' he inquired ironically. "'Well,' replied Bill, grinning exasperatingly, "'it all depends on how you looks at it. Women say he is, men swear he ain't. You can take your choice. But they do say he ain't no ladies' man,' he jabbed maliciously, well knowing that Curly prided himself on being a lady-killer. "'The H-blank L he ain't,' retorted Curly, with a show of anger, preparing to argue, which would take time. And Bill was trying to give the outlaw a good start of them. "'The H-blank L he ain't,' he repeated, leaning aggressively forward. "'You keep your opinions close to home, you big-mouthed coyote.' "'Well, you asked me, didn't you?' replied Bill. And I told you, didn't I? He's a good man all around. And say, you should ought to hear him sing. He's a singer from Singersville, he is. Got the finest voice this side of Chicago, that's what. That's real interesting, and just what we was asking you about, replied Larry with withering sarcasm. And being so windy, We'll sure give him all the music he wants to sing to before dark if we gets him. Your lying ability is real highfalutin. Now suppose you tell the truth before we drag it out in you. Who is he?" 
You ought to know it by this time. Didn't I say his name was Tom Davis?' he replied, crossing his legs, his face wearing a bored look. "'How many names do you think he's got, anyhow? Ain't one enough?' "'Look a-here,' cried Curly, pushing forward. "'Was that the de-blanked orphant? Come on, now, talk straight.' "'Orphant!' ejaculated Bill in surprise. "'Did you say orphant? Orphant nothing,' he responded. "'What an H-blank hell do you think I'd be lying about him for? Do I look easy? He ain't no friend of mine. Besides, I wouldn't know him if I saw him, never having seen that frisky gent. Holy gee! Is the orphan loose in this country, out here along my route?' He cried, simulating alarm. "'Well, we'll take a chance anyhow,' interposed Jack Kelly. "'I can tell when a fool lies. If it is your friend Tom Davis, we won't hurt him none.' "'Honest, you won't hurt him?' asked Bill, grinning broadly. "'No, I reckon you won't, all right,' he added, for the sheriff was close at hand now and was coming up at a walk, and Bill had an abiding faith in that official. He could be a trifle reckless how he talked now. He laughed sarcastically and hooked his thumbs in the armholes of his vest. "'Nope. I reckon you won't hurt him, not a little bit. Not if he knows you're going to try it on him. And if it should be Mr. Orphant, well, I hear that he's dead sore and being hunted. Don't like it for a de blank. I also hear he drinks blood instead of water and whips five men before breakfast every morning to get up an appetite. Oh, no, and you won't hurt him neither, will you? You're real pert now, ain't you? shouted Curly angrily. You're a whole lot sassy and smart, ain't you? But if we find that he is that orphan, we'll pay you a visit so you can explain just why you're so de-blanked friendly with him. He seems to have a whole lot of friends about this country, he does. Even the sheriff won't hurt him. Even the brave sheriff loses his trail. Must be something in it for somebody, eh? You'd better tell that to somebody else the sheriff, for instance. He'd like to think it over," responded Bill easily. "'It's a good chance to see a little branding a la colt, as the French say. Tell it to him, why don't you?' "'I'm telling it to you now, and I'll tell it to Shields when I sees him, you overgrown babia!' shouted Curly, his hand dropping to his colt. "'Everybody knows it. Everybody's a-talking about it. And we'll have a new sheriff, too, before long. And as for you, if we wasn't in such a hurry, we'd give you a lesson you'd never forget. That de-blanked orphan has got a pull, but we're going to give him a push and plumb into hell. Either a pull, or our brave sheriff is some scared of him. He's a fine sheriff, he is, the big baby. Pleasant afternoon, Curly, came from behind the group, accompanied by a soft laugh. The voice was very pleasant and low. Curly stiffened and turned in his saddle like a flash. The sheriff was smiling, but there was a glint in his fighting eyes that gave grave warning. The sheriff smiled, but some men smile when most dangerous, and as an assurance of mastery and coolness. "'Looking for strays, or is it mavericks?' he casually asked, a question which left no doubt as to what the smile indicated 
for it was a challenge. Maverick hunting was at that time akin to rustling, and it was occurring on the range despite the sheriff's best efforts to stop it. Curly flushed and mumbled something about a missing herd. He had suddenly remembered the scene at the corral, and it had a most subduing effect on him. The sheriff regarded him closely, and then noted the bullet-holes in the coach. The door of the vehicle was closed, the curtains down, and no sound came from within it. The baggage-flap had settled askew over the tell-tale trunks and hid them from sight on that side. "'Oh, it's a missing herd this time, is it?' he inquired coolly. "'Well, I reckon you won't find it out here. They don't wander over this layout while the limping water is running.' Well, we'll take a look down south a ways. It won't do no harm now that we've got this far," replied Larry. "'Come on, boys,' he cried. "'We've wasted too much time with the engineer.' "'Wait,' commanded the sheriff shortly. "'Your foreman made me certain promises, and I reckon that you are out against orders. I wouldn't be surprised if Sneed wants you right now.' Larry laughed uneasily. Oh, I reckon he ain't losing no sleep about us. We won't hurt nobody." Whereat Bill grinned. "'Come on, fellows.' "'Well, I hope you get what you're looking for,' replied the sheriff, whereat Bill snickered outright and winked at Charlie, who sat alert and scowling behind the sheriff, rather hoping for a fight. Larry flashed the driver a malicious look, and wheeling, cantered south, followed by his companions. They rode straight for the point at which the orphan had disappeared, Bill waving his arms and crying, "'Sick The chase was on in earnest. The stage door suddenly flew open with a bang, and interrupted the explanations which Bill was about to offer, and in a flash the sheriff was almost smothered by the attention showered on him. Laughing and struggling and delighted by the surprise, the peace officer could not get a word edgewise in the rapid-fire exclamations and questions which were hurled at him from all sides. But finally he could be heard as he extricated himself from the embraces of his sisters. "'Well, well!' he cried, smiles wreathing his face as he stepped back to get a good look at them. "'You're a sight to make a sick man well. My, Helen, but how you've grown! It's been five years since I saw you and you were only a schoolgirl in short dresses. And Mary hasn't grown a bit older, not a bit," addressing the elder of the two. Then he turned to the friend. "'You must pardon me, Miss Ritchie,' he said, as he shook hands with her. "'But I've been looking forward to this meeting for a long time. And I'm really surprised, too, because I didn't expect you all until the next stage trip. I had intended meeting you at the train and seeing you safely to Ford Station, because the Apaches are out. I couldn't get a word to you in time for you to postpone your visit, so I was to take Charlie and several more of the boys and escort you home." Then he looked about for Charlie and found that person engaged in conversation with Bill as the two examined the bullet-marked stage. "'Come here, Charlie,' he cried, beckoning his friend to his side. "Ladies." This is Charlie Winter, and he is a real good boy for a puncher. Charlie, Miss Ritchie, my sisters, Mary and Helen. I reckon you ladies are pretty well acquainted with Bill Howland by this time, but in case you ain't, 
I'll just say he is the boss driver of the Southwest, noted locally for his oppressive taciturnity. I reckon you two boys don't need any introducing." He laughed. Then, while the conversation throbbed at fever heat, Bill suddenly remembered and wheeled toward the sheriff. "'The orphan!' he yelled in alarm, hoping to gain attention that way. The sheriff and Charlie wheeled, guns in hand, and leaped clear of the women, their quick eyes glancing from point to point in search of the danger. "'Where?' cried the sheriff over his shoulder at Bill. "'Down south, ahead of them fool punchers!' Bill exclaimed. "'He's only got a little start on him. And they know he's there, too. That's why they're looking for cows on a place cows never go.' Then he related in detail the occurrences of the past few hours, to the sheriff's great astonishment, and also to his delight at the way it had turned out. Shields thought of his own personal experiences with the outlaw, and this put him deeper in debt. His opinion as to there being much good in his enemy's make-up was strengthened, and he smiled at the fighting ability and fairness of the man who had declared a truce with him by the big boulder on the Apache trail. "'Oh, I hope they don't catch him!' Helen cried anxiously. "'Can't you do something, James?' she implored. "'He saved us, and he is wounded, too. Can't you stop them?' The sheriff looked to the south in the direction taken by the cowpunchers, and a hard light grew in his eyes. "'No, not now,' he replied decisively. "'They've had too much time now. And it's safe to bet that they rode at full speed just as soon as they got out of my sight. They knew Bill would tell me. They're miles away by this time. But don't you worry, sis. They won't get him.' Five curs never lived that could catch a timber wolf in his own country, and if they do catch him, they'll wish they hadn't. And I almost hope they win the chase, for they'll lose their fool lives. It will be a lesson to the rest of the bullies of the crossbar eight, and small loss to the community at large, eh, Charlie? You're sure right, Jim, replied Charlie, smiling at Miss Ritchie. Did you ever hear tell of the dog that retrieved a lighted dynamite cartridge?" he asked her. No? Well, the dog left for parts unknown. That's good, Charlie, Shields responded with a laugh. The dog just wouldn't mind, and he was only a snarling, no-account cur at that, wasn't he? Then he looked at the coach, and his heart softened to the hunted man. I can see it all now, he said slowly. Those punchers must have forced him out of the backbone, and he was getting away when he saw the plight you were in. By God! he cried in appreciation of the act. It wasn't no one man's work, five Apaches. One man stopping five of those devils? It was no work for a murderer, not much. It was clean-cut nerve, and if ever I see him I'll tell him so, too. I'll let him know that he's got some friends in this country. They can say what they please, but there's more manhood in him to the square inch than there is in all the people who cry him down, and who are in a great way responsible for his being an outlaw. I'm ready to swear that he never wantonly shot a man down. No, sir, he didn't. And I reckon he never had much show, from what I know of him. Helen was real kind to him. 
remarked the spinster. She bathed his wound and bandaged it. Spoiled her very best skirt, too. "'You're a good girl, sis,' Shields said, looking fondly at the beautiful girl at his side. His arm went around her shoulder, and he affectionately patted her cheek. "'I'm proud of you, and we'll have to see if we can't get another very best skirt, too.' Then he laughed. "'But I'll bet he blesses the warrior who fired that shot. He's not used to having pretty girls fuss about him.' Mary looked quickly at her sister. "'Why, Helen, you've lost your gold pin. Where do you suppose it has gone? I'll look in the stage for it before we forget about it. Dear me, dear me,' she cried as she entered the vehicle. This has indeed been a terrible day." Bill grinned and turned toward his team. "'I reckon she'll find it some day,' he said in a low aside as he passed the sheriff. "'I'll just bet she does. It'll be at the finish of a whole lot of things, and people too, you bet,' he added enigmatically. Shields looked quickly at the driver, his face brightened, and he smiled knowingly at the words. I reckon it will. Fool punchers, for instance." Bill turned his head, and one eye closed in an emphatic wink. "'Kino,' he replied. Mary bustled out again, very much agitated. "'I can't find it. Where do you suppose you lost it, dear? I've looked everywhere in the stage.' "'Probably back where we stopped before,' Helen replied quietly. "'We were so agitated.' that we would never have noticed if it slipped down." "'Well,' began Mary. "'No use going back for it, Miss Shields,' promptly interrupted Bill from his high seat. "'We just couldn't find it in all that trampled sand, not if we hunted all week for it with a comb.' "'You're right, Bill,' gravely responded the sheriff. "'We never could.' As they entered the defile of the backbone, the sheriff suddenly remembered what Bill had told him, and he stopped and dismounted. "'You keep right on, Bill,' he said. "'I'm going up to hunt that fool puncher. Lord, but it's a joke. This game is getting better every day. I'm getting so I sort of like to have the orphan around. He's sure original, all right.' "'He's better than a marked deck in a darkened room,' laughed the driver. He sure ought to be framed or something like that. "'You better go with him, Charlie,' the sheriff said as his friend made a move at dismounting. "'There ain't no danger, but we won't take no chances this time. We've got a precious coachful.' "'All right,' replied Charlie as he wheeled toward the disappearing stage. "'So long, sheriff.' The sheriff looked the wall over and then picked out a comparatively easy place and climbed to the top. As he drew himself over the edge, he espied a pair of boots which showed from under a pile of debris, and he laughed heartily. At the laugh the feet began to kick vigorously, so affecting the sheriff that he had to stop a minute, for it was the most ludicrous sight he had ever looked upon. Shields grabbed the boots and pulled, walking backward, and soon an enraged and trussed cowpuncher came into view. Slowly and carefully unrolling the rope from the unfortunate man, he coiled it methodically and slung it over his shoulder, and then assisted in loosening the gag. The puncher was too stiff to rise, and his liberator helped him to his feet and slapped and rubbed and chuckled and rubbed to start the blood in circulation. 
The gag had so affected the muscles of the puncher's jaw that his mouth would not close without assistance and effort, and his words were not at all clear for that reason. His first word was a curse. "'Ell!' he cried as he stamped and swung his arms. "'Ell! I'm asleep all over! Wait till I get him! Wait till I get him!' "'Sort of continuing the little nap he was taking when he roped you, eh?' asked Shields, holding his sides. "'Nap nothing! Nap nothing!' yelled the other in profane denial. "'I wasn't asleep, I tell you! I was wide awake! He got the drop on me! And then that cussed rope of his'n was everywhere! The air was plumb full of rope and guns! I didn't have no show! Not a bit of show! Oh, just wait till I get him! Why, I heard my partners talking as they hunted for me, and there I was not twenty feet away from them all the time helpless. They're fine lookers, they are. Wait till I seize them, too. I'll tell them a few things, all right. Well, I reckon you may see one or two of them, if they're lucky. And you can't beat a fool for luck, replied the sheriff. They want to be angels. They're on his trail now. Hope they get him yelled the puncher, dancing with rage. Hope they burn him at the stake! Hope they scalp him and hash him and saw his arms off and cave his roof in! Hope they make him eat his fingers and toes! Hope—' "'You're some hopeful today,' responded the sheriff. "'If you like them, you better hope they don't get him. That's hoping real hope.' "'Wait till I get him,' the puncher repeated, grabbing for his colt being too enraged to notice its absence. I'll show him if he can tie a man up and leave him to choke to death and starve and roast. I'll show him if he can run this country like he owns it, shooting and abusing everybody he wants to." "'All right, Sonny,' Shields laughed. I'll sure wait till you gets him, if I live long enough. But for your sake, I sure hope you never finds him. You wouldn't get any more reputation if he killed you, and your friends would miss you." "'Don't you let that worry you,' retorted the enraged man. "'I can take care of myself in a mix-up, all right. And I'm going to chase after my friends and take a hand in the game, too, by God. He ain't going to leave me high and dry and live to boast about it. But I suppose you reckon you'll stop me, eh?' Shields raised both hands high in the air in denial. I wouldn't think of such a thing, not for the world," he cried, laughter shaking his big frame. You can go any place you please, only I'd take a gun if I was going after him," he added, eyeing the empty holster. You know, you might need it. He was very grave in the use of the subjunctive. The puncher slapped his hand to his thigh and then jumped high into the air. Blink! Blink! he shouted. Stole my gun! Stole my gun!" Then he paused suddenly, and his face cleared. "'But I've got something better than a colt on my cayuse!' he cried as he leaped toward the edge of the canyon. "'And I'll give him all it holds, too!' he threatened as he bumped and slid to the bottom. The sheriff took more care in time in descending, and had just reached the trail when he heard a heart-rending yell, followed by a sizzling stream of throbbing profanity. "'Where's my cayuse?' yelled the puncher as he rounded the corner of the canyon wall on a peculiar lope and hop. 
Where's my cayuse, ya law coyote? he shouted, temporarily out of his senses from rage. Where's my cayuse? dancing up to the sheriff and shaking both fists under the laughter-convulsed face. When the sheriff could speak, he leaned against the canyon wall for support and broke the news. Why, Bill Howland said as how the orphan was riding a crossbar eight cayuse, dirty brown with a white stocking on its near front foot, had a big scar on its neck too. The deblinked horse thief began the puncher, but Shields kept right on talking. There was a dandy Cheyenne saddle, he said, counting on his fingers, a good gun, a pair of hobbles, and a big coil of rawhide rope on the cayuse. Was they yours? Was they mine? Was they mine? his companion screamed. My new saddle gone, my gun gone, and my fine rope gone. Oh, H. Black L., how'll I hunt him now? How'll I get home? How'll I get back the ranch? Words failed him, and he could only wave his arms and yell. Well, it wouldn't be hardly worth while chasing him on foot without a gun, that's sure, the sheriff said, grave once more. But you can get home all right, that's easy. How can I? asked the puncher, eyeing the sheriff's horse and waiting for the invitation to ride double on it. Why, walk, was the reply. It's only about twenty miles as the crow flies, say twenty-five on the trail. Walk! Walk! cried his companion, savagely kicking at a lizard which looked out from a crevice in the rock wall. I never walked five miles all at once in my life. Well, it'll be a new experience, and you can't begin any younger, replied Shields as he swung into his saddle. It'll do you good, too. Increase your appetite. I'm so hungry now I'm half-starved," replied the other. But I'll pay up for all this, you see if I don't. I'll get square with that de-blanked outlaw. You don't know enough to be glad you were found, retorted the sheriff, and if he hadn't told Bill where to look for you, you wouldn't have been either. You got off easy, Bucknell and don't you forget it neither. Men have been killed for less than what you tried to do." The puncher wilted, for twenty-five miles in high-heeled boots over rocks and sand, and with an empty stomach, was terrible to contemplate, and he turned to the sheriff beseechingly. "'Give me a lift, sheriff,' he implored. "'Take me up behind you. I can't walk all the way.' Shields looked at the sun, which was nearing the western horizon, and thought for a minute. Then he shrugged his shoulders. "'Well, I hadn't ought to help you a step, not a single solitary step, and you know it. You tried your best to run against me. You tried to hold me up there by the corral, and then, after I had warned you not to go out for the orphan, you went right ahead.' Now you're asking me to help you out of your trouble, to make good for your fool stupidity. But I'll take you as far as the end of the canyon. No, I'll take you on to the ford, and then you can do the rest on foot. That'll leave you ten or a dozen miles. Get aboard. End of chapter 7